the progressive wing of the Democratic Party as much as they're outraged about Israel's response, outraged at the Biden administration's response, that it's resonating with many Americans, including independents and including some Republicans. Welcome to the Powers That Be Daily, Puck's podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood, and the players who run it all. I'm Peter Hamby. It's Wednesday, October 18th. Today, as Joe Biden heads to Israel, I'm joined by Julia Yaffe with the latest on the U.S. response to the crisis in the Middle East and what the Biden administration is doing to make sure the violence doesn't spread. And Julia explains what Vladimir Putin is doing this week in China as the world's eyes drift away from the conflict in Ukraine. We'll discuss all that and much, much more on today's episode of The Powers That Be. This podcast is proudly supported by Netflix, presenting The Gentleman. The new series from Guy Ritchie stars Emmy nominee Theo James, Kaya Scodelario, and Daniel Ings. Eddie Horniman, played by Theo James, unexpectedly inherits his father's estate, only to discover it's part of a cannabis empire. And Britain's criminal underworld wants a piece of the operation, forcing Eddie to play the gangsters at their own game. Now available only on Netflix. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Welcome to the powers that be. Global superpowers are very busy this week. Joe Biden arrives in Israel today to try to flex some diplomatic muscle as the country goes to war, prepares to go to war against Hamas in Gaza. And Vladimir Putin has gone to China. So who else should we talk to than Julia Yaffe? Julia, it is your birthday today. Uh, and for your birthday, I arranged uh, for Vladimir Putin to go visit President Xi just so you'd have <laughs> something to talk about. Happy birthday. Thanks. I thought the present was that the world is on fire. I thought that was your present. It does jive with your general worldview and the name of your former newsletter, Tomorrow Will Be Worse. But I do hope you have a delightful day. I do want to talk about Vlad in China. But first, I think we need a little bit of a, a summary of what's going on with Israel, specifically the U.S. response. I mean, the story is obviously moving a mile a minute. Can you, for our listeners, just sort of sum up how the Biden administration has been responding uh, to the crisis in Israel since, you know, the first assault from Hamas about 10 days ago now? Well, Biden took a pretty unequivocal stance, which was that America would be standing with Israel and that Israel had the right to defend itself. And I think if you're ensconced in the kind of liberal social media space, it would have at first seemed to me like, wow, he's really going out on a limb here. But so far, polling has shown that to be a very popular opinion, including among Democrats. Uh, and that in some ways, the progressive wing of the Democratic Party as much as they're outraged about Israel's response, outraged at the Biden administration's response, that it's resonating with many Americans, including independents and including some Republicans, you know, including members of the Trump administration who have come out and said that, you know, respect to Biden for this. 
And then on top of that, you have Secretary of State Tony Blinken visiting Israel, then six Arab countries, and then is now back in Israel trying to negotiate some kind of deal where humanitarian is let in either through Egypt or through Israel. He's been trying to negotiate that deal with Egypt. We keep hearing that they figured out a way to open the Rafah crossing, which connects the Gaza Strip to Egypt, and then it doesn't open. And there's no humanitarian aid that's let in. But then you also have the CENTCOM commander visiting Israel. You have Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin visiting Israel. But then within that, there's been a slight pivot, which is that if the first week was, you know, all in, we defend Israel's right to defend itself, we're not going to publicly kind of backseat driver them and tell them to do this and not to do that. They know best how to defend themselves. Now you're seeing a little bit more of the rules of war have to be obeyed. International law has to be respected. Antony Blinken said earlier this week, how Israel does this will matter. And so trying to signal to Israel and to Arab countries in the region that this is not a blank check from the U.S. And from what I understand, the conversations in private are, you know, much more blunt, both with Arab countries and with Israel. Blunt how so? And what? And by the way, how do you approach diplomatically the Arab countries in the reason if you're Tony Blinken? Well, some of them have peace treaties with Israel, like Jordan and Egypt. Some of them have normalized relations with Israel, like the UAE. Some, like Saudi Arabia, was on the verge of it. And some, like Qatar, play a key middleman between uh, Iran and the U.S. and also host Hamas's offices and some of uh, Hamas's top leaders who are not in Gaza suffering with their people side by side, but are in Qatar living nice, cushy lives. And so I think the message is different to all those Arab countries. They're all different. I think there's a need to communicate to the Arab countries that no, Israel does not have a blank check from us, and we're concerned about the casualties among Palestinian civilians and the blockade and the humanitarian crisis that it's causing, but also trying to lean on them to condemn Hamas, because there's also a sense that even though these countries, their leadership will put out statements that say, you know, we condemn both sides, or Israel's wholly responsible for this, that behind the scenes, there's a, there's much more frustration with Hamas, and a feeling of like, these guys are really a thorn in our sides, and they just keep causing problems where we want just calm and stability. So trying to navigate, you know, the public and private there as well. Yeah, I mean, because I'm sort of a dummy about some of this stuff, I texted one of my friends the other day, like, why is the Rafa crossing sealed, <laughs> you know, or has it been at least? And, and, you know, my friend who used to work in the Obama administration at least was like, well, there's a complicated history here. Like Egypt, you know, doesn't want Hamas radicals coming in. <laughs> like, yeah. they don't like Hamas. <laughs> Other people yeah. in, the, in the region don't like Hamas. Well, Hamas is an offshoot of the Muslim Brotherhood, which the yep. Sisi government in Egypt put down quite violently when it came to power. But it's also being framed as you know, Israel, you're not going to solve this issue at our expense by displacing Palestinians off their land and into our space. 
it's been corrected a bit in the last week, but originally what you kept hearing about Gaza was that it was has been blockaded by Israel for the last 16 years, when in fact it was blockaded by Israel and Egypt, who had no interest in dealing with Hamas either. On the other hand, the Rafah crossing until now has been one of the more open ones and has been one of the places that the Gaza Strip got food and supplies from uh, more readily than through some of the other crossings. So John Kirby on on Monday told reporters that Biden, uh, in his trip to Israel, uh, and he's supposed to go to Tel Aviv and Amman, uh, apparently, mm-hmm. but Biden's mission is going to be sort of what you talked about, like making sure that there is space created somehow to get humanitarian assistance into Gaza and to get innocent people out. And by the way, and to keep this from spreading, right? Because you saw on Monday, the Iranian foreign minister saying, we just have our finger on the trigger, he said, and we're ready to open a second front. And Hamas is lobbying, continuing to lob rockets at Israel, but Hezbollah is periodically lobbing rockets across the border as well. And Israel's been firing back. And so you have these this kind of simmering on the northern border. Mm-hmm. And that's why you have Biden and members of his administration saying, hey, everybody else, don't you dare take advantage of this opportunity to attack from another place. So I think that's also a key issue here is to keep it from spreading. I think that's also why you see Biden himself, members of his, his administration, working overtime with Arab countries in the region to make sure that doesn't happen. Yeah, you saw him on 60 Minutes on Sunday when asked about other nations or entities trying to take advantage of the situation. Biden just said, don't. That mm-hmm. seems to be the prevailing message. Julie, I want to take a quick break. When we come back, I want to ask you about Vladimir Putin. This podcast is proudly supported by Netflix, presenting the new series, The Gentleman. Theo James, Kaya Scodelario, and Daniel Ings star in what the playlist calls an entertaining crime comedy filled with style, panache, and laughs. The Evening Standard raves, The Gentleman is peak Guy Ritchie, impossible not to love. Now available only on Netflix. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. And right now, your local Toyota dealer has more vehicles in stock and is making delivery on new vehicles almost every day. So visit your local Toyota dealer. And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places. Welcome back to the Powers That Be, everybody. I'm joined today by Julia Yaffe on her birthday. Before getting into a conversation about Vladimir Putin, I should mention that everyone should go listen to Julia's hit podcast about a boy 
about the youth of Vladimir Putin, Julia, mm-hmm. it is burning up the podcast charts. I mean, you are you're like the Alex Earl, Dax Shepard <laughs> of uh, you know Russian history, according to I Apple, don't know uh, podcast any charts. of those names that you mentioned. <laughs> I thought you might. I thought you might not. I thought you might. Not. It's a it's a big deal, is what I'm saying. It's a oh, big thanks. deal out there in the world of content creators because of course we are no longer journalists we are content creators Mm -hmm. anyway julia vladimir putin made a visit to china and it feels like you know vlad always knows what he's doing or has an agenda Uh, why go visit china right now just as the situation in israel is on fire Well, this was a planned visit. It's part of the Belt and Road Conference. You know, this visit was obviously arranged before October 7th. And it does, to your point, it does feel like, you know, a story from a totally different time, a totally different universe, when the world gave a shit about Russia and Ukraine, which Mm -hmm. it seems to no longer. Mm -hmm. And what you're seeing also is Putin slowly waking up to that reality basically a week in. It took him a couple days to react last week when he said, unsurprisingly, he said, well, you know, this is, of course, America's fault because our foreign policy has always favored Israel so heavily and has not been serious about creating a Palestinian state and Mm. has not taken Palestinian rights seriously, Uh, which was incredible given the relationship that Putin has tried to form with Bibi over the years. Mm. And that was done precisely to try to peel off one of America's most staunch and important allies, right? Bibi Mm. at one point was visiting Moscow more frequently than he was visiting Washington. Mm. And that was very much a feather in Putin's cap. And then on it, after an attack like this, Putin comes out and decides to kick Bibi in the balls while he's down, right? And say, this is your fault, this is America's fault, and by the way, Palestinians and Palestinian statehood and and Palestinian rights. I mean, one of the reasons that the Russian position has also, you know, there was the Israeli Air Force shortly after the October 7th attack carried out a missile strike in Syrian territory, and the Russian foreign ministry came out and slammed it as a violation of Syrian sovereignty, which Mm. is hilarious given what Russia thinks of Ukraine's sovereignty, but also one of the reasons that Israel has not weighed in more heavily in the Russia-Ukraine war is because Russia basically averted its eyes and essentially allowed Israel to bomb targets, Hezbollah, Iranian targets inside Syria. And now when Israel's kind of on its back foot, Russia says, oh, no, you don't. You can't do that anymore. Mm. And then in the last week, you've seen Putin kind of wake up to the fact that nobody cares about Russia and Ukraine right now. China even is weighing in on this issue and that it's time for him to weigh in on this issue, but he's probably a little late. And this is kind of classic, classic Putin, classic Russian diplomacy under Putin, which is to A, pretend that Russia is the diplomatic adult in the room. And that Mm -hmm. it can solve these crises because it has relationships with actors that the U.S. does not have. For example, Hamas, which visited Russia, Hezbollah, the Taliban. Russia does not consider Hamas and Hezbollah terrorist organizations. And then the second thing it's clearly trying to do, which it did after 9-11, 
which it did after the Bataclan attacks in Paris, Mm -hmm. is to say, hey, look, we also know from terrorism. We should work together on counterterrorism. This was, of course, one of the last things, the counterterrorism cooperation between Russia and the U.S., as useless as it was, was one of the last things to go out the window when Russia launched its full-scale invasion of Ukraine. And so you can see Putin now trying to use this a little bit while trashing the U.S., trying to kind of wiggle his way back in from the cold and from the isolation in which he found himself. And third is, as you see the global south identifying increasingly with the Palestinian cause and turning increasingly against the U.S. and the West in light of this war between Israel and Hamas. Putin, again, trying to cozy up to the global South, as he's been doing since the Ukraine war started, and saying, you know, there's actually more of us, more countries, more people, than there are people in countries represented by the imperialist global North. And um, going to China, I think, also fits very neatly into that, you know, that there are these two powerful countries, they're aligned against American, Western, Israeli hegemony. That, I think, is kind of what's happening. Julia, thank you for the cliff notes on all of this very complicated stuff. I appreciate it. We appreciate it. What are you doing for your birthday? Oh, I'm just going out to dinner with my partner, and it's going to be lovely. You know what? That's what a birthday in your late 20s should be. In your late 20s? (laughs) (laughs) Julia, I'm not going to say how old we are, but happy birthday. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Peter. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Powers That Be. As a reminder, The Powers That Be is the official podcast of Puck. We'd like to thank Ben Landy, Liz Goff, and Alex Bigler for their editorial and production guidance. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend. It really helps us keep delivering the inside scoop that only Puck can offer. Follow us on Twitter at Puck News. I'm Ben Landy. See you tomorrow. This has been a presentation of Odyssey. Please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes wherever you get your podcasts. The Powers That Be Daily is executive produced by John Kelly, co-founder of Puck, Bob Tabador, and Ben Landy, executive editor at Puck.